Welcome everyone to Becker's Physician Leadership Virtual Forum. I'm Brian Zimmerman, and today I'll be the moderator for our session titled The Greatest Risks and Surprises Physician Leaders Have Navigated and What They Gained. We've got two esteemed leaders here to, to walk through some questions with me today. So I'm not going to waste any time. We're going we're gonna to get right to it. And to begin, I'm going to ask each of these leaders to, to share a bit about themselves and their own journey uh, in, in physician leadership. Dr. Navarro, you want to get the ball rolling there? Thank you, Brian. Uh, I'm Ron Navarro, I'm an orthopedic surgeon in Southern California. I joined Kaiser Permanente or the Southern California Permanente Medical Group in 1997. Uh, three years to partnership and a month later, I became the chief of a department of about seven or eight physicians, orthopedic surgeons, and it has grown to about 12 or 13. I did that for about 10 years and then got into a, re or a local perioperative leadership. So I was managing all of the surgeons and uh, then soon thereafter passed that job off. And now I'm leading uh, and working collaboratively with 13 medical centers in Southern California and overseeing the um, musculoskeletal care for all of Southern California, Kaiser Permanente. And there's about 210 orthopedic surgeons across the 13 medical centers. So that's it in a nutshell. Appreciate that. Uh, thank you for being here, Dr. Navarro. Uh, Dr. Cohen, how about you? So I'm Bruce Cohen. Uh, I'm from the other side of the country uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I'm an orthopedist as well, trained in foot and ankle. Um, I uh, am currently the CEO of Ortho Carolina, which is a large independent group in Charlotte and, and North Carolina and South Carolina. Um, I started in, at Ortho Carolina in, in 2001. I'd been in practice down in Florida for a few years, then I came up here. I was always very involved in the physician leadership side. And about six years ago, um, my predecessor, Dan Murray, who was the CEO of Ortho Carolina at the time, um, somehow convinced me to take, take this role. And so I've been doing it about six years. I'm still um, actively practicing. Uh, it's supposed to be 50% of the time, and I'm supposed to be CEO the other 50% of the time. It's really about 110% of the time I'm CEO and I'm 50% or 40 to 50% clinical. Um, Ortho Carolina is a big group. Um, we have uh, around anywhere between 130 to 140 doctors, depending on how you count them, um, whether you count fellows. Uh, we have 39 offices. We have around 1,800 employees, and you know we cover uh, a fairly large ge geographic area, primarily in North Carolina, but now we're entering into, into South Carolina as well. Excellent. Thank you both for being here again, and I think we've sort of set the stage here so so folks uh, uh, watching this can can really appreciate your perspectives. And now we're going to move into some other questions I have prepared for this. Um, I'm going to start here by obviously uh, across the board here for physicians, across specialties, regions, everything. It's just been a tough couple of years to say the least. Um, you know, I guess the question I want to ask then is what has been the hardest part about leading uh, amid the pandemic and leading through through this difficulty and various disruptions that the industry has experienced in the last couple of years. And maybe if we could just home in on some of the, the most important lessons you've learned throughout this process. And Dr. Cohen, we can stay with you to get the ball rolling on this one. So, I mean, your description is perfect. The last two years have been just unprecedented. Every time we think we're done, we're not. And so I think the most difficult thing is, is, is the unknown. Um, everything that we dealt with, um, we had no playbook for. We really didn't know what to do. I mean, you know, it ranged from, you know, in, in March and April of 2000, 
uh, in 20, you know, we were shut, most of us were shut down or near shut down. We were making decisions on whether we had to furlough employees, whether, whether we had to furlough, you know, extenders and even, even talk about physicians. We ended up not doing it. But, but what I learned through the whole thing and what I think we, what we all learned was communication was the key because there was so much coming at us and everything was changing so rapidly, whether it, it was about masks, whether it was about, um, you know, how long do you quarantine with exposures and, and things like that, that, you know, everything was changing on a daily basis. We had to really recreate new lines of communication because we didn't have personal contact with people anymore. And so post-pandemic, sort of, um, or, or as we emerged out of the pandemic and we got back to normal business, what we realized was people want that communication. And I think the biggest lesson I learned was, you know, we had weekly calls and we were really terrible at them at the beginning. You know, they were conference calls, then they became video calls. And historically we had this one where this bird chirped the whole time and nobody would mute their phones. And, and we still talk about it two years later, but what we realized was we communicated more as a group, as a group of, of, of owners of a business in, in that time of, crisis than we ever had in, in, in the history of the organization and people wanted it and you needed to keep it. And so, you know, I, I wanted to fall back to the old, the old days where we didn't communicate very much and, and they didn't like it. So, so I would say that was the lesson I learned is, is transparency, communication, you know, multiple touch points and they don't have to be personal or in person anymore um, is, is probably what I'm taking from this from a leadership standpoint. Yeah. And do you think it would be fair to say that as you mentioned, like sort of the pandemic has taught us just how important communication is, but also that we didn't do it very well beforehand. Um, it, it, is that is that fair to say? Well, I mean, think about it. We're, we're sitting here on a Zoom call. I had never been on a Zoom call. I didn't even know what it was. My kids knew what it was, I think. But but you know, we, we do our conferences virtual now. Um, we do a lot of our meetings virtual. You know, think about telemedicine and telehealth and tele, you know, and virtual PT. Those things existed, but we didn't use them. We didn't realize how important they are. So, so if, we, if we don't adopt those things, shame on us because they are very effective. You know, I have a pretty big organization and I used to get in cars and drive to board meetings um, an hour and a half away. I don't do that anymore. I mean, I do when I need to, and I think there's a happy medium, but, you know, Ron's probably got the same situation, you know, in California where the traffic's, you know, horrendous and he doesn't want to drive anywhere. What, what about that, Dr. Navarro? You miss your windshield time uh, in LA traffic? It's interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, number one, I think Dr. Cohen really captured the essence of the question while I can add to it, but I think in some ways it is nice to get in the car occasionally to think through some of the problems that are posed to you. But yeah, certainly not all of the time. Uh, traffic did go down in the pandemic in, in, the, in a big city like Los Angeles, but it's coming back now. But if you'd like, Ryan, I can uh, you know give some other perspectives. And I think what uh, uh, Bruce said was uh, spot on and it's eerily similar to the way we uh, performed uh, through the pandemic to go from rarely communicating to communicating a lot. Um, I would just say that uh, I don't want to use the word burnout, but maybe that was is what happened through this too, because of some of the things that Dr. Cohen suggested and alluded to this uh, idea of the unknown and then work. Many times surgeons are looked at as, oh, you know, electives are going down, you have nothing to do. 
it, it was kind of funny because surgeons always have something to do. There's always other patients to care for, especially in our in in the uh, discipline that we share orthopedics. There's always trauma patients, and some of that went down, but burnout took uh, effect and it was exhaustion maybe of this fear of the unknown. You become tired of not knowing and that really affects your psyche. And, and I wanna just point out one other thing. Um, there, there developed a bigger schism between folks. People were less tolerant of each other's differences. And you know how in America there has been some polarization. And so you could almost feel some of that palpably where people were on either side of an aisle or either side of a, a network of television news. And um, it, it really also exacerbated some of the burnout and exhaustion probably, just to kind of add to Dr. Cohen's great answer. And then I guess the follow-up for you there, Dr. Navarro, which is, I think it's a, it, it's a point worth digging a little bit deeper on just because you've got to be a leader of, of people uh, regardless of their opinions, where they fall on the political spectrum, you've got to be able to lead to everyone. And so when you have uh, a, a situation where it gets a little acrimonious, perhaps, how do you, how do you address that? How do you, how do you um, maybe calm, calm the waters and, and get everybody thinking that, hey, we're all pulling from the, the rope in the same direction here, right? And Kaiser Permanente, we've, you know, we like slogans. And so one of them, and I think it's kind of neat though, is we've, we've tried to build back the why, the why you went into medicine. And so, and, and, and it's probably not original to us by any stretch. Nothing I'm going to say is original probably. Um, but uh, the way we did that, and, and, and Bruce alluded to it as well, we used the time of the pandemic. They, we felt that there was a silver lining that these, um, uh, virtual pathways that we had kind of put our toes into the water of and really never uh, uh, um, uh, totally utilized and, 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 and made better sense of. We really tried to see if there were new care paths because of, of the different populations that we're seeing coming uh, to us in terms of the millennials and the post-millennials and X and Z. They want to be more invested in light touch, but highly effective care. And so we use the time orthopedically in Southern California to build um, care paths that might uh, um, uh, leverage some of that. And that really ignited people's flames again. It helped them build back their why because I had them on different phone calls, not ones, because I think in the beginning when it's unknown, you think like, what's gonna happen with COVID? Those calls are good, but after a while they became redundant and boring and we weren't really doing any, we were talking about the same thing all the time about like how many people were sick and whether we were closing ORs or not. I mean, you have to do it, but it's kind of, you know, uh, boring, but we tried to use different calls to kind of actually do something that would be effective and build back better care paths. Appreciate that. Yeah, sort of bringing it back to the why, uh, you know, people decide to be physicians in the first place. Um, uh, thank you, Dr. Navarro. I think we can stay with you for the next one just to get the ball rolling, and then Dr. Cohen will work you in as well. But related to the pandemic, I, I want to talk, of course, about uh, how the, the physician shortage is playing out uh, at your respective organizations. I think that is workforce issues right now, uh, top of mind across the industry from, from uh, nurse shortages to physician shortages, all that stuff. So uh, I guess, uh, Dr. Navarro, what are you doing to, to mitigate the potential harm of these shortages, if they're how they're playing out at your organization, if they're, if they're a challenge? Um, and maybe 
how do you think broader the, the industry will address these critical shortages in the years to come? Uh, first of all, you know, um, it, it, thank you for allowing me to answer more broadly than just orthopedic surgeons, because I've found by and large orthopedic surgeons, uh, at least some, if, if Dr. Cohen and I are of a similar generation, tend to continue to work hard. Many of them do not take the, you know, um, sick leave. They don't uh, uh, burn out to the degree that they say, I don't want to be in this anymore. But just generally, if I just say generally, some people retired, some people became part-time where they were full-time. They maybe went to eight-tenths or five-tenths half-time or 80% time. Others moved on to different practices because they didn't like our practices. And that includes nurses and whatnot. And some are still out sick. So we're having an ongoing problem with getting our full workforce back and being completely fully resourced. And so, um, it, you know, uh, to the second part of the question, you know, how, are, how do we address it and how are we going to address it? We have critical backlogs in some areas. And so, because when, when people don't receive care, it becomes uh, a future potential care that they need. People put off care. So the, you, we, the ones that are coming in and saying, now I need my total knee, that's just one grouping of people. There's some people who haven't even been seen at all. So now what we're trying to do is, um, you know, in our, in our personal system, increase means by which we can see patients. And some of the work that we did during the time of the critical short, shortage stages and shutdown stages of the pandemic are now coming to bear fruit because we virtualized and leaned out some care paths. And so that's one approach we have towards some of this. We are trying to uh, make quicker touches to patients so they don't have to go through like the array of, of providers and physicians and other allied healthcare providers before they get to orthopedics. And then when we touch them, we want to get the ones that really need um, self-care and, and because their, their issues are, self, are, are, lim are time limited, they're going to get better quickly, like an ankle sprain that's going to get better. We want to push them into care paths that are uh, treatment regimens and also low touch for us because they're probably going to get better very quickly anyway and really critically understand who we need to see. And we're also trying to like lobby on a, on a federal and national basis to see if we can increase residency spots and things like this, because I think there's gonna be critical shortages of physicians coming forward. I think that's part of your question. And we need to work uh, together collectively to probably see how we can approach these, these shortages of physicians. I hope I answered the question. No, definitely. I mean, I think to, to your point, there's things that actions, immediate actions that can be taken, but also the the residency point, you got to think long-term about how you're going to address this issue moving forward. Um, Dr. Cohen, I want to invite you to, to, to build on those comments. Yeah, so so I think, you know, I'd like to address it more on the labor workforce. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, from a provider standpoint, we've been very fortunate. Um, you know, we really didn't lose any or many, many providers, and, and we have plenty of providers to see the patients. I think the workforce issue in healthcare is going to be the biggest um, ongoing issue that we're going to be faced probably for the rest of our careers. I mean, the stats are, you know, one in five healthcare workers have left healthcare and they're not coming back. And those that are remaining, we're having, you know, you know, I'm looking at it as a business owner. So as a business owner with, you know, uh, 1800 employees, um, I can't afford to pay, to, to give everybody a 20% pay increase because my reimbursement's not going up. If I was a restaurant, I would just increase the price of the steak and pay the, you know, pay the staff more, but we can't. 
And so we, so this workforce issue is, is what keeps me up at night. So we're trying to address it by one, making the workplace, you know, a, a good place to work, rebuild our culture, really get those things to where people aren't going to leave you over, you know, 50 cents an hour or a dollar an hour. Um, flexible hours, um, the ability for jobs that can't, that aren't patient facing, that can work um, either either a hybrid or a virtual position, it expands your recruitment. And we were recruiting people across the country now um, because they don't have to live in North Carolina because they can do their job virtual. We've got to figure these things out and we've got to get people to come back to healthcare because especially in the in the patient facing clinical assistance and, and things like that, they're leaving and they're going to work at, you know, at, at in retail, they're going to do gig working. Um, they're, they're going to work for, you know, you know, other industries. Um, now it may be not, not, it may not be long lasting, but what if it is, where are we going to find these people? So the training program for medical assistants and x-ray techs, and even, even nurses um, aren't full. And so, we have a serious problem in healthcare, and I don't know how we're going to be able to address it. We're going to have to potentially increase reimbursement so we can entice people in um, from, from a financial standpoint. But I think that is the biggest issue facing healthcare, and, it, and, it, and nobody's isolated from it. You know, an independent practice, a hospital based organization, a university based organization, everybody has those same issues. And, and it's critical right now, um, trying to find people to work just so we can take care of people both in the hospital, but also in the ambulatory setting. It's hard. Mm -hmm. and, and to your point, I think there's a lot of this that is just, I mean, just bigger than one organization, right? There's just so much of this that's existential and, you know, hard to, we can talk about it. We can have big picture conversation about it, but hard to practically address uh, within your organization, but to your point, Dr. Cohen, something that you can control is that culture uh, in, in, in your organization. So I, I'm curious if you can talk more about what you find to be the most effective elements of a culture that, that really retains its people. You know, so it was interesting. Prior to the pandemic, we'd spent about two years really working on our culture. We engaged consultants, and I won't mention names, but we really spent time kind of, and ironically, talking about what our why was. And, and we built it all on that. And I was so proud of our culture, went all the way down to the employees and, uh, you know, every single employee, every single provider, we carried our little, little cards around with, with what we call our credo, and then COVID hits. No personal contact, tons of turnover, and we've lost it. And so now we spent the last few months trying to rebuild it. Now that we can have some personal meetings and we used to have these daily huddles, now we have them weekly. Um, but the culture is what kept people engaged and they kept the employees, you know, your, your, your most important person is your employee, not, your, not, not so much your patient, which is really weird as a physician for me to say that. But if your employees are engaged, you're going to take better care of your patients. Um, and, you know, we all as physicians will take care, good care of the patients, but we got to make sure everybody who has an interaction with that patient takes good care of them. And that culture, well, the culture, you know, worldwide suffered in the last couple of years. And we're trying to build that back. There's this animosity and, and it's very polarizing. And now, you know, there's financial constraints with, you know, with, with costs going up and the cost of living and, you know, everything's more expensive. And so, Building that culture back is, is what we all need to be focusing on, but it's, it's hard and it's a lot harder to do it virtually than, than, it, than it was in person when we did it back in 2018 and 2019.
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I think the question I want to ask next, then I want to, I want to sort of come back, go in reverse a little bit uh, in this conversation, Dr. Cohen. Um, I think we started off where you were talking about how in the pandemic, uh, just how important communication is, uh, was sort of came to the to, to the fore for a lot of folks. Uh, the question I want to ask is either good or bad. Maybe we can talk more about what has surprised you as a physician leader in the last two years. Um, I think the resolve of, in the first, uh, it's probably, two, I'll answer it two ways. In the first half of this, whether it's last year or so, the resolve of the employees and the resolve of the providers and how everybody bound together and really, really pitched in and, and you know, everybody was committed to, to this goal. But the problem is now we're a couple of years in, it's that fatigue, it's that burnout. That's the, the thing that troubles me the most is people are really burned out and, and they really are. And they're burned out socially, burned out emotionally. Um, healthcare, you know, nobody's doing parades for us anymore and, and, uh, and, and celebrations and leaving lights on and doing those things, you know, but, but they're arguing about having to wear a mask at the front desk when they check in. And that, that takes a toll on people. And that's the part that I can't believe that we're still two years in having those, having those same issues. You know, none of us, none of us could have predicted that. And so I think that's, it's kind of the good part was how everybody, you know, wrapped their arms around each other and, and, and handled the initial crisis. The bad part is it's lasted so long that it's taken its toll on people. And that's probably, you know, part of the reason people are, you know, leaving healthcare or retiring early or just, you know, you know, maybe I don't need to work, you know, as much anymore. Maybe I can go part time. That's the part that I just, I just hope we, that's not where we end up that we can get it back. Yeah, I think that's such an important point about sort of like the stark contrast into um, how the broader society sort of rallied behind physicians and clinicians uh, in, the, in the onset of, of the pandemic to now sort of kind of the opposite where the, uh, in a lot of instances, uh, they've been the targets of, of public ire. Um, and that's just after two plus years of a pandemic, that's just gotta be uh, I can't. I can't even imagine taking the wind out of your sails. Is burnout probably isn't even a word that does it justice. Uh, but I, I appreciate you sharing that, Dr. Cohen. Um, Dr. Navarro, what maybe has most surprised you uh, in the last two years? Uh, Bruce said it really well. You know, I was really, um, you know, um, encouraged and and uh, just really happy to see people's resilience in the beginning and just kind of banding together. It was akin to kind of, uh, you know, like the Second World War where we all had a common cause to fight against. I, I imagine that's what it was like then. Um, I didn't live through that, but it, it, was, it was really exciting, although scary. And as people got to understand it more and more polarizing views occurred, um, that, that kind of has led to the same issue of, of uh, not wanting to be as invested in, in things, you know, whereas people would want to stay extra and do more. They just want to go home as soon as they can from work. And, and we both talked about how some people have just decided to leave the workforce. And it's really critical to kind of figure out what, 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 it's, what we can do for the future to, to bring them back, as Dr. Cohen nicely said. The other thing I think is simultaneously, some of our physician workforces really changed their attitudes of work-life balance in seeing this. And I think to me, 
besides uh, the critical uh, workforce we need to bring back today, that's what keeps me up at night as well to think. And I, I honor people for their choices. And I think the, the days of, you know, 60 and 80 hour work weeks for a physician and they think it's normal and they just think that that's just the greatest thing to do. The next generations of physicians are not going to be about that as often, and so and then you know we could argue whether that's good or not. So just maybe accepting that for the moment that the value, how we view that is they are giving good care for all those sixty or eighty hours. If we just accept that as a given, we're just not going to see people who want to give that much time anymore. <laughs> They're going to want to go home to families at five and they're not going to want to work as much on weekends. And interestingly, whereas I'm part of the baby boomer generation, more money would make me do more work. To some of them, more money doesn't really even matter. So we can't even entice them with, the, uh, with, with more pay. We have to figure out other ways. And I think Dr. Cohen said it really well, too flexibility. We have to figure out what are the times people want to work and give them the shifts they like. And um, we're bringing in more diversity into the workforce and we need to honor what those what that looks like for those people. And that goes to gender diversity as well as uh, race and ethnic diversity. Because some people might say, I need to be home before my kids get home. And we need to figure out paths that that meet what the patients vitally need, but also meet what uh, the, our workforce needs. And I think Dr. Cohen said a lot of these things too. I think the question that I wanna ask then with all those different challenges and uh, different ways that we have to figure out how to support the workforce, support uh, diverse uh, workforce the, the staff, also support diverse patient populations and uh, all the other challenges with, uh, with just supporting the, the work of healthcare. Is there a role, do, you, do either of you, um, maybe we can get both of you to weigh on this, this is a curiosity that's just come up throughout the conversation. Is there a role for technology here to maybe uh, give a boost in some areas to, to, to maybe help shore up um, some of the, uh, maybe some of the, the burdensome workflows or just uh, reduce some of the hours that, that physicians have to work? I'll just put that question out, out there for, for either of you to, to jump at. Go ahead, Bruce. You want me to go first? Well, I think on the workforce, and it may not be the, the provider workforce, but but on, on, on the flow of patients, we've got to figure out how to use technology because I, I don't think the staffing issue is going to be fixed very quickly. And it may not, it may not ever, ever go back to where we have abundant staff. And so we have to leverage technology, whether it's whether it's kiosks for check-in and we're doing that some, you know, whether it's, you know. Uh, you know, all sorts of, uh, there's great technology that we can use just like they use in other industries. And, and we, we need to be innovative in it and have the ability to adapt. Same, same thing with physicians, you know, tele, telehealth, telemedicine, virtual consults, you know, those can be done at home, you know, and, and as soon as you're done, you know, you can, you can be with your, your, your kids and, 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 and do things much different than, than probably Dr. Navarro and I have done in our careers where we probably weren't around very much when our kids were growing up. And so I, I think that if, you know, we have to use technology and, and the younger generation providers are going to mandate it. Um, and, and they're gonna be much better at it than us, which is really good. Um, but, but the reality is it's there. We're gonna to have to figure out how to leverage technology. You know, um, it's, 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 you know, the office of the future is gonna look different. 
you know, is it going to have little TV studios where we're doing, you know, virtual visits for follow-ups and people getting x-rays closer to home and, and then we review them virtually and then we have a, a video conference with them so they don't have to get in a car and drive in Southern California traffic. I mean, there's all different ways that we can do this. And I agree uh, with Bruce, uh, Brian. Technology is clearly a piece of the answer. We need to understand what we can do in a virtual environment. We need to see what we can act on. You know, both Dr. Cohen and I, as orthopedic surgeons, when we used to get calls from the emergency room, they'd say, the patient slipped on a banana or it was a puddle of Coke. Maybe it was Pepsi. And all we're saying is, what does the image show? <laughs> like, the, what they slipped on, who cares? But that same image, and, and this is what we're working on in some of these care paths, if we can get that image quicker, more digital, and get it scored and recorded, maybe we can act on it and move the patient upstream into better care paths before they're even seeing too many people. It's not bad care to just say, your knee hurts, get an x-ray, and then it's read quickly. And then if the x-ray is of high grades of arthritis, it goes to an arthritis surgeon or their PA, and it can be any other mid-level provider. And if it's a low grade of, 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 of arthritis or no arthritis, and they say they're clicking or locking, they might go to a sports medicine PA or a sports medicine arthroscopist orthopedist. And then the patient will say, you know what? Wow, I didn't have to go in. I answered some questions online that are set up that kind of, history is important. And our best, best doc, uh, teachers in medical school say, if you take the right history, you can actually make the diagnosis. And so... I don't know that I need to touch them right away, but if I ask the right questions, get the right images, I don't need to know what they slipped on. I need to know if their knee's clicking or if their arthritis is high grade and they get them to us quicker. And the patients are happy because they get upstreamed into the best care path, the right care, the right pace, the right physician or other allied provider. I get a bunch of people who knock me when I call physicians providers. You see, I keep saying physician or other allied because a physician beat me up for that. And so, um, I think that that technology as it relates to care paths is really a solution and that's what we're trying to work on and what I alluded to earlier. Thank you both for, for uh, jumping on that question for me. I appreciate it. We just have a couple minutes left. So I'm gonna go ahead and move to, to closing thoughts, final takeaways. Natasha Navarro, we can start with you. Is there anything we didn't get to uh, that you think is really important to share with folks or is there a previous point you made that you really wanna emphasize before we sign off? I think the future is unknown and, and, and Dr. Cohen said that really well. And we need to, to kind of gird people. And if we can build this sense of, of resilience and of grit, and, and there's been a lot of studies on it to make people aware that the future is not gonna be clear and we just have to be more comfortable with it. So if we could build more education into not fearing the unknown and just playing in it, you know, just knowing it's going to happen that way and making people understand that that's the way this is going to be for a while until the, the kind of the Jetson sort of care in the future occurs. That, I think that's where, where I want to be. That's, the, you know, Gretzky always said, I'm, I'm where the puck is going to be. That's where, that's where healthcare is. I'd like to know where healthcare is going to be and gird people for that. Thank you so much, Dr. Navarro. Dr. Cohen. So I'll probably take it a different direction. And, you know, we talk a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is leadership. And, and I try to focusing a lot on kind of how do we build the next leaders? Um, you know, as leaders going through what we've been through the last couple of years, I mean, it's 
it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my career. And I've done a lot. And, you know, we need to figure out how to build the next generation of leaders, how to mentor them, how to develop them. Why in the world would, would they want to do what he and I do? Um, or do they? You know, and if we, you know, so we need to figure that out. We need to build these succession plans, develop leaders, mentor leaders. And as orthopedists, we don't do that really well. Maybe we do it early in training and then you're on your own. Um, and then hopefully you join an organization that does it, but most organizations don't do a great job of it. And so I think that would be something, you know, and it's just not in orthopedics, but really, really in everything is, is how do you build that leadership? How do you, how do you develop new ones? You know, how do you create the environment that people want to do this um, and you set people up for success? And I think that's really hard and it has to be very, very intentional. And, you know, we're really busy doing all sorts of other things, but this has to be part of it. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Cohen. Thank you, Dr. Navarro. And thank you, uh, all of our attendees, for being a part of our Physician Leadership Virtual Forum. Uh, for attendees out there, make sure you check out our other sessions. And please let us know if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Thank you again to, to both of uh, these esteemed panelists. Uh, uh, the conversation was wonderful. So appreciate it, everyone.